0: Or simply download the CCCIV app. You'll find the direct link to the app at www.ccciv.org forward slash get the app. Or when you text CCCIV APP to 77977. This
1: is the length that I've gone to try to really make sure that I don't cause someone to stumble. I really enjoy those IBC cream sodas. You you know what I'm talking about? You can get them at Walmart or pretty much any store, but it looks like a six pack of bottles of beer, right? So I only buy those when I'm out of town because I don't want somebody at the grocery store to see me with that in the cart and think the pastor's buying a six pack of beer. It's soda. I have the freedom to drink that soda. I can drink it all day long if I want to. There's freedom for me to do that, but I don't put that in my cart because I don't want somebody to see it and say, look, the pastor's drinking, I just don't want to stumble someone, okay? Now, Paul here's saying, you who are strong have to understand that even though you have freedom to do these things, sometimes it's worth it to surrender or to sacrifice those things so that you're thinking about the weak person, so that you don't stumble the person that's really trying to get right with the Lord, that you don't cause them to turn their back or to turn away, right? To think about other people before you think of yourself. This is the extent to which Paul went. And I I want to share this with you because these verses are convicting for me. I hope they convict you this morning, right? Listen to this. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You can read it yourself later if you want. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. Paul says this, for though I am free from all, even though I have liberty, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. And I have become all things to all people that by some means I may save some of them. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I'm share with them, in it's blessings. I'm setting aside maybe what I want in life or what I could enjoy in life or what I, in my own rights, in my own liberty, am able to enjoy. I'm setting that aside because I want to enjoy the blessings of the gospel with as many people as possible. What a heart to have, right? That's what I want my heart to be. That's what I want to look like when I grow up, right? I want to be like that when I grow up. So he goes on here. Look at what it says. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor to think of them, to not stumble them for his good and to build him up. The word is to edify, to construct, to construct that neighbor. Now in our world today, there is enough negativity. There's enough tearing of people down. Right? The world will say where you're not tall enough or you're not fast enough or you're not slim enough or you're to this or you're to that and we're torn down all day long what if when people came to this place what if they walked into the fellowship of believers that stopped at the door and all of a sudden we're about building and constructing and edifying and uplifting one another because that's what Paul's saying here, you who are strong, look out for the weak. When they come into the door, let's start building one another up. Let's start encouraging one another. Let's start making sure that when people leave, that they leave better than when they came. Not torn down, not destroyed, not falling apart, but we put them back together again here. Look out for people to that degree, to that extent. And he gives us here an example. Build them up. Verse 3, Romans chapter 15. You should still be there. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The word reproach, it really means like a shame. The shames of that which fell upon you, they fell upon me. Christ didn't live to please himself. He wouldn't have gone to a cross if his life was to please himself. Primarily, his purpose for being here was to please the Father in heaven. He actually said at one point in time, my food... My food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. He says, I didn't come to perform my own will, but I I came to perform the will of the Father who sent me. I always do those things which please the Father. This is what he said. You realize that when Jesus came to this earth, he knew that God's plan for him was to go to a cross, and he came anyway? Do you think he did that for his own pleasure? Do you think he did that because it felt good? Do you think the nails felt good? Do you think the crown of thorns felt good? Do you think the whippings felt good? No, none of that felt good. That didn't please him in the flesh. He came to do that to please the Father and because he was thinking of you. What an amazing truth when we truly understand that and grasp that. This is what the scripture says of Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter eight. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. Jesus emptied himself of glory long before he ever went to the cross. Jesus poured himself out when he decided to leave heaven and to come as a baby, to walk as a man, to die as a man on the cross. He emptied himself of that glory. He gave that up. He became poor so that you might be made rich. That's living for somebody else. That's thinking that he allowed those reproaches, that shame, all of that shame, he allowed my shame to be placed upon his shoulders. You see, the scripture says that there's a cup of God's wrath that the wicked must drink. And Jesus stepped forward and he said, if there's a cup of wrath that needs to be handled, let me drink that cup for you. See, the scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So Jesus steps forward and says, then let that blood be my blood. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death, and Jesus steps forward and says, if there must be death, then let it be my death. The scripture says, cursed is anyone who hangs upon a tree upon a cross, and Jesus steps forward and says, if there must be someone who's cursed, if there must be someone who goes to a cross, let it be me. Let their shame, let their guilt, let their burden fall on me, Jesus says. Again, my challenge to you is when you understand this, when you grasp this, how can you not then look around the needs that are in the room and say, what Jesus has done for me, I will gladly do for you. If you freely receive, how can you freely not give? Right? Give some of that away. It's amazing to think of. Second point, if you have your outlines out, this is actually there, you need to write this down, is the purpose of the word. Look at what it says in verse 4. For whatever was written in former days, it's a reference to the Old Testament, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So here you have this. What was written in the former days, the Old Testament combined with the New Testament. Understand this, that as believers in Christ, we need to be in the Old Testament. We need to read the Old Testament. Why? Because it was written for our instruction, Okay, Paul is writing this before the New Testament was canonized. The text that he's referring to is the Old Testament. There was no New Testament yet. You get that, right? He says that the scriptures, those scriptures were written for us so that we might find encouragement and find hope. There's a purpose for the word of God in our lives, and we need to pay attention to both the Old and the New Testaments as believers. He says that the purpose for that is that you might be encouraged and that you might find hope. Jesus came and he said this, he said, I did not come to abolish the Torah, the law, I came to fulfill the law. The law, he says this in John chapter 5, you search the scriptures, he's speaking to the religious people, to the scribes, the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and they are those which bear witness about me, yet you've refused to come to me and live. The Word that you're studying, the word that you've devoted your life to, they all teach about me, but you refuse to come to me and find life. All of the word there for our instruction to show us how we should live. When you read the Old Testament and you read about Israel's sin and Israel's idolatry, that how every time they fell into idolatry, they were taken away captive to a foreign land, and you think, you know what, maybe I shouldn't practice idolatry. Maybe I should worship only the one true living God, right? When you see how God's blessing and God's spirit fell upon the nation of Israel when they were obedient to him, you think maybe I should live a life of obedience. Maybe that's what God wants me to do. They're there for your instruction. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is breathed out or inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you're confused today, if in your life, you don't know which way to go you know you have a big decision maybe looming over your head that you really just are not at peace you don't have a assurance of which direction to go i challenge you to go to the word to seek out instruction in the word to find your peace in the word to find your confirmation in the word of god because god will meet you in that place it's there for your instruction so that you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work that through endurance the word endurance means to be patient. It means to suffer well. It means to stay steady even in the midst of storm, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of heartache, that that's what it means to endure. Why is endurance so important for the believer? It's because Jesus said that he who endures to the end will be saved. And maybe someone here this morning needs to hear this. It's not about how you Started the race that's important to the Lord. It's how you finish your race that's important to the Lord. Because it it breaks my heart to see how many believers really start with the zeal and they run hard with God and then they get to a point in their life where they get tired or they get bored and they stop running the race the way they should run the race. You have to run through the finish line, not to the finish line. You have to endure to the end if you really truly want to find the Lord waiting at the end. Amen. So the scripture being a source of encouragement, the word means to call alongside of. It's the same word of the Holy Spirit that that's what you can find. You can find God's presence through the word of God. You can find that encouragement. You can be uplifted. You can have your heart stirred. If you're depressed, if you feel lost, if you feel confused, you can come to the Lord in his word and you will find that encouragement. And then finally look at that word hope. In the Hebrew, the word hope, it means a confident expectation. It's an absolute certainty that something better is yet to come. I've said this before, I say this often, that it's like when I was a kid and I'd go to my grandmother's house and we'd have a great meal prepared for us, right? And we'd all finish the meal and they'd come along and she'd come through and she'd start taking people's plates. But what would she say? She'd say, Keep the fork. Why would she say, Keep the fork? because dessert's coming, because something better is on the way. That's a beautiful picture of what hope looks like, right? You're confidently expecting something better to come. Hope is a powerful force in the human spirit. We can overcome great trials if we have hope that something better is to come, and as believers in Christ, what more hope should we have? It doesn't matter. Throw COVID at us. National deficit on the rise. Throw it at us. Inflation's coming. Great. Why? Because something better is on the way. Jesus is right around the corner. You can clap for that. Praise the Lord. This is what it says in First Peter chapter one. It says therefore. Peter says this, therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Take your eyes off of life, take your eyes off of the issues, take your eyes off of the news cycle, and set your hope fully upon the grace that is coming when Jesus comes. Let me read to you out a psalm, and I want you to write this down, because these are beautiful texts, a beautiful text, and maybe... Meditate on these verses throughout the week, if you would do me the the honor of doing that. Just read these verses throughout your week. Psalm chapter 33, beginning in verse 18, it says this. And this doesn't encourage you, I don't know what's going to be able to encourage you. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, or those who trust in him. On those who hope in his steadfast love. The eye of the Lord is on those who trust in him and those who are hoping in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. It doesn't matter what life brings my way. My hope is in the Lord and God's looking at me. Our soul waits, or another way to say our soul hopes for the Lord. The word is the same in the Hebrew. Our soul hopes for For the Lord, he is our help, he is our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. The Lord is watching those, his eye is upon those who hope in him this morning, those who are waiting for something better to come. It doesn't matter how difficult your life is today. It really doesn't, not in the grand scheme of things. We're here but for a moment, but when your hope is in the Lord, God's watching you. God is watching you. Amen. Third point there, if you're taking notes with us this morning, is the promise of welcome. The promise of welcome. Look at what it says here in verse 5. This is encouraging as well. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. My endurance isn't even dependent upon my strength. He's the God of endurance, and he's the God of encouragement. If I feel like I'm going to fail or I can't make it on my own, that's okay. You can't, but he can. May the God of endurance, the God of encouragement, grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, to be one with one another, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Here, the exhortation that Paul is giving is that we would dwell together in harmony, have one heart, that we would have one mind. And Pastor Walter taught on this last week. If you didn't listen to it, go listen to it. How there are so many non-essential issues that the church has allowed to come in to kind of make their way into our fellowships that have divided and torn us apart. It grieves Jesus' heart to see that. What happens when we dwell together in unity? You can read the book of Acts and you can see how powerfully God's spirit rested upon that early church. That's what I want to see happen in our church. He says, I want you to come together with one voice. I wonder what it looks like on the outside looking in for the unbeliever, for the lost to look into the church and to hear how divided we are, even in our speech, even for the causes that we champion, right? And how Easy it is for the church of Jesus to get off of track, right? We get off track and we start, you know, this political issue or, you know, this social issue. And we're all talking about all of these different things, right? When we should be focused on what? On the gospel of Jesus, one voice, right? What happens when two parents in the home don't agree when they're trying to maybe correct their children, right, when they're trying to punish their children, right, if you aren't in agreement, your children are going to play you, right, they're going to come to one parent, and they're not going to hear what they want, so they're going to go to the other parent until they find what they want to hear, there has to be one agreement, harmony, one voice in the home, in the same sense, there needs to be agreement, harmony, one voice in the church, and the one thing that we should be speaking forth in power and in boldness is the grace that is found in Jesus and the hope that there is in the gospel, If it's anything else, if our opinions become louder than the truth, there's a problem. There's a big problem in the church when that happens. Our message should be this, that there is salvation that is found in Jesus, and that comes by grace and through faith alone. There's no other way to get to Jesus. Right, But again, what do we do in our denominations? We, will we say, well, if you don't pray like this, and if you don't speak in these tongues, and you know, if you don't worship on these days, and if you don't you know, celebrate these festivals, and you know, if you don't read these verses, or if you don't give this much money, then you're not saved, or then you're not really one of us. That's all divisive, and it grieves God's heart. There's one message that we have, and there's one way to the presence of the Father through Jesus, through the grace that he offers his children. Look at what it says here to wrap up this portion in verse 7. It says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that blows my mind. You know, we, we talk about this all the time, don't we? We say, you need to receive Jesus as your Savior. Have you heard that said in the church? How many times have you heard that said in the church, right? A lot, right? We say, you need to receive Jesus as your Savior, which is true. But do you realize that at the core, Jesus received us first? He welcomed us first. The word welcome means to accept It means to really draw in. It means to grant access to. It means to take to oneself. It means to receive someone. And here the scripture says, you need to receive one another. You need to accept one another. You need to bring into your presence one another. And here is the sad truth is that the church has been terrible at this. I need to think back just for a moment to what I was like before I came to Christ. What was I living like? What were you living like? If you walked in through the door and you didn't feel welcomed or accepted or wanted, what would you do? You just turn right back around, right? I remember when I was a kid, you guys remember Alvin's toy store down on Main Street, right? Right? Like, this is before KB's even. I mean, this is like a throwback. This is a long, long time ago. Those of you who grew up in the area, you know who Alvin's Toys was. But, man, when you went into Alvin's Toys, and I'm sorry if there's anyone in here related to Alvin. All I know is that when I was a six-year-old little boy, when I went into Alvin's Toys, I was afraid. Right? A huge store filled with toys, and as a little boy, I couldn't touch any of it. Right? I went into a toy store as a child, and I didn't really feel like he wanted me there. Right? But I wonder if that's what we don't do as a church. We want the loss to come. We want people to get saved, but you know what? Trying to fit in with us or trying to really do life with us or trying to be welcomed into our ranks or trying to become one with us. You know, not until you clean yourself up right? Not until you get rid of that sin in your life. It's ugly. We don't really want that around. Not until you get rid of that addiction or not until you put your marriage back together or not until you reconcile with your wife or whatever that thing might be, right? These people come in here and we're supposed to be welcoming them, the strong to the weak, right? But really they come in and they don't feel welcome. They're a kid in a toy store that isn't really wanted there. And we do this to people in the church all of the time. I'm convinced That people really do have a desire for Christ, but you know what they don't have a desire for is the church. Why? Because our opinions and our attitudes turn people away at the door. And people really don't feel welcomed or received or accepted. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 5. He said, and this is profound, he said, it was when you were still a sinner that Christ died for you. Jesus didn't say, you know what, if you'll get rid of your addiction then I'll go to the cross. He didn't say if you get rid of that bitterness or that anger in your heart, then maybe I'll die for you. He didn't say if you can stop watching or viewing pornography, then I'll go and be a sacrifice for your sins. No, what did he do? He said, while you're still messed up, beat up, torn apart, while your life is still in a wreck and in shambles, he went to the cross for you. There's a woman in Luke chapter eight who was unclean by The Jewish standards. And she wasn't allowed to fellowship. She wasn't allowed to gather with people. She wasn't allowed to be in a group of people like this. If she went around she'd have to announce that she's in the area that she's unclean. Why? Because she'd been bleeding for 12 years. But when she heard Jesus was in the room she made her way through the crowd and she reached out to touch the hem of his garment to be made whole. You see, we have this backwards sometimes. We think that And we post these things at the door. Maybe it's a spirit that's posted at the door that, you know what, if you're going to come in here, you have to have your life together. But people need to come in here in order to get their life together. This is where they can meet with God. This is where they can reach out and touch the robe. This morning, maybe you're here and you feel like your life is falling apart. Well, you're welcomed here. And I'm sorry if someone in the room didn't make you feel welcome, but Jesus welcomes you here. And you can reach out with the mess that is your life, with the uncleanness that is your life, with the addictions, with the lust, with the sin, with the pride, with the arrogance, with the guilt, with the shame. You can reach out in faith and you can touch his robe and you can be made whole today. There's a promise of welcome. Welcome one another like Jesus welcomed you. Man, do we really do that? Let that sink in just for a moment. While you were still sinner, Christ died for you. Welcome each other the way Jesus has welcomed you. It's very simple, right, when you read it, but it's so profound in trying to put it into practice. To really accept and receive one another with all of our shortcomings and failures and issues and how we just rub each other wrong just i want to receive you the way jesus received me i want to welcome you the way jesus welcomed me into his arms of grace and forgiveness and mercy
0: thanks for joining us today for love live lead the broadcast ministry of christ community church imperial valley